0: Joining us now on the program, of course, Fieldhouse Files. You can read his work covering the Pacers, Scott Agnes, who I believe, Scott, I could be wrong in this because everything runs together to me because unlike the song we just heard, um, well, I like the song, actually. I get older and not always wiser, so I can't remember. This Is this your initial conversation on the noon show for the two of us, or is this the second time that you've joined us and when I've actually been awake?
3: Yeah, no. This is the first time with with you two guys at this uh, this hour. And yes, thanks to Eddie for that bump.
0: <laughs> you like that, huh? Um,
3: all right, let's. Hey, nineteen eighty
0: nine's out today, baby. I, I saw that. Eddie Eddie was all about it yesterday, right, Eddie? Oh yes, totally. Okay, <laughs> had my chai <laughs> yes. tea. Mm-hmm. That's right, you and your chai tea. All right, Scott. Let's begin with this. Uh, obviously, a dynamic debut for the Pacers in terms of the season: one hundred and forty three points. Uh, what jumped out at you? I we we talked about it a lot yesterday, but I'm curious from your standpoint, what most struck you, maybe even pleasantly surprised you about the Pacers in Game One?
3: Yeah, the the things that didn't obviously the high octane offense, how much they're flying up and down the court that was expected. That's all they have been talking about. I thought the the poorest start, especially defensively, a little bit acceptable, but also a little bit surprising given how much uh, of the emphasis in camp over the last three weeks had been on defense. More than that, though, Jake, I would say it continues to be Ben Matherin playing in in the flow of the offense and passing up the court rather than putting head down, attack, 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 which is – What he's basically been trained to do, that's what he has known in the past, and they're trying to kind of break that old habit now that he's in the starting lineup. Can he be more of a facilitator? Can he play more within the the randomness of the offense rather than get the ball, put ball on floor, attack, and maybe get fouled? Um, And then I would also say just the the efficiency in which Bruce Brown shot the ball from outside. We knew he could shoot. We knew he could be a threat from out there, but – If he can knock down more than a couple of three-pointers per game, that'll really open up additional offense. It'll open up spacing of the floor. Um, So really, it was Bruce Brown's efficiency, and I thought Matherin's distribution of the ball, even in the preseason, that jumped out.
4: Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files is our guest. Scott, you mentioned the defense, and I contend that Cleveland is a better barometer or measuring stick for where you are as a team, but I also contend that it takes more than just two games to figure out a team's identity So let's stick with Washington. I, too, was a little concerned about the early defensive effort. The Wizards aren't going to be a good team this year. You give up 120 to them. How long before we know if this is truly a better team defensively or if they're just high-powered enough on offense where they think they can just outscore anyone? Yeah,
3: I'm preaching patience. I'm going to say let's give it through December. Like This is such a significant change. Now, you do have a lot of continuity within within the roster. However, Many guys are in different roles. For example, Andrew Nembhard's not in the starting lineup. He's not off the ball. He's running the show now with the, with the reserve unit, with, with a, a mixed match of different guys. Buddy Heald's coming off the bench, but will still play with some of the starters. So for me, I always try to emphasize about 25 games, kind of let's get to New Year's Eve when they normally have a matinee game then I think we have a much better understanding of really every team um, here throughout this league. Uh, I I think just talking with so many guys throughout training camp, a lot of things they were emphasizing about the defense is like Tyrese is like, yeah, I've never, I've never played it this way. This is, this is far different than I'm used to. So it's taken a little bit of time to kind of break those old habits and kind of emphasize with what they're doing, which in short, is trying to run the opponents off the three-point line. Don't allow them to knock down three-pointers. And they did that quite well in game one. I think the Wizards were 9 of 24. You're going to win a lot of games if you can keep your turnovers down like they did just two in the second half, and the opponent doesn't even get double-digit three-point field goals. And the other thing is they're trying to switch everything less, like which has become more of the norm around the league. So in turn, they're really trying to take on – Battles kind of in two-man groups. So can they switch within a two-man pairing and and try to win that matchup um, and therefore get less out of position and hopefully be more successful?
0: Scott, of the players whose roles have morphed from last year to this year, the one that you think will have to have the biggest adjustment, but let me rephrase that perhaps – not only have the biggest adjustment in their role this year, but the one that may be the most prone to struggling with that adjustment would be who?
3: I'd go right to the same matchup, switching places. I think it's Buddy Heald and Benedict Mather, and and I think that suits them well just because right now it's a little bit out of place and they're asking to do things a little bit differently with a whole different group of players. So I think it'll be natural for there to be both of them to have – their struggles. However, what we did see in Game One, while Rick Carlisle trimmed the the roster, or excuse me, the rotation to nine-man group, which is really what coaches want to be—about nine or ten—it's always tough if you get outside of a ten-man rotation. What they did do, though, was stagger when guys would go in, when guys would go out, and I think that that could be a key to a success and making it work because that way you allow for Heald to play with Halliburton, you allow for uh, some of the guys who had played together to continue on while also becoming accustomed with this new group. But, yeah, that's easily the one that could uh, be most concerning or uh, most apt to maybe experience some growing pains. You know,
0: I I thought it was interesting, Scott, in watching the Pacers – Scott Agnes is our guest on the hotline – in watching the Pacers the other night, I mentioned this to Jimmy and Eddie, I thought they really jump-started. They they were kind of sluggish at start. They were down a little bit. And then when Buddy Healed came in is when like yep. this light switch went off. And all of a sudden, like everything just kind of took off. Obviously, there are two ways to look at that. The first would be that's why he's coming off the bench. The second would be that's why he should start because that jump started their flow immediately when he was on the floor. Does that get revisited
3: at all? I think everything is open right now, Jake. I really do. I don't think much is kind of finalized, let's say, outside of Tyrese and Miles probably being your starters. And you probably now maybe throw an OB there. But uh, I think as this season is about the future, it's about building and continuing to build on here in the year three of the rebuild. I think you have to consider that down the road here if we get to kind of what Jimmy was alluding to you know, let's give it some time, and then if it doesn't quite work out, they're going to look at the the tape. They'll look at the analytics, and maybe you do have to re- uh, come back and address that again. But I also stress, much like you see with, like, down at IU football, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any, you do need to stick with a plan and give it some time before you make a significant tweak like that. But right now it's Mather in the starting lineup, and, and I don't mind that. I wouldn't be surprised, too, if it's sometimes you see them start a smaller – Uh, put more of a smaller, more shooting type lineup in there. And the other interesting thing I I think could be uh, down the line is to close games. Again, the first game was a blowout. We didn't see it. The closing lineup, if they want to emphasize defense or shooting, could be terribly different. The gap is so different that that could be an interesting storyline to watch once we get down to two minutes left in a game and they're down by three.
4: Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us here on Query and Company. Scott, I agree with you. I wasn't surprised at the offensive output, but I was surprised that it appeared as though there was really no lull, considering that you added two pieces that played significant minutes in Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown for being first-time Pacers and not having real familiarity with this roster. Were you surprised at all with the fact that there wasn't a lull against the Wizards, or is it still too early to say, well, Cleveland's far better than Washington, maybe we see that game too?
3: Well, a lot of what you see is offense be ahead of defense when you enter, camp, or when you enter the, the regular season. So you'll see some high-scoring numbers. Wait two weeks. I promise you go back to, like, per-game averages, and I bet they're five points lower probably than what, what offenses are doing to start games, like I talked about, too, is like the Pacers and other teams. Their defense kind of builds, builds some chemistry and gets kind of on that save wavelength. That's easy offensively. The Pacers very rarely run sets. That's what they don't want to do, and that's actually talk about Rick Carlisle, who hits his birthday and just signed a new contract extension. That's where I give him a lot of credit over the last three or four years, how he's really evolved as a coach to the point where I was talking with Chauncey Billups and Eddie Gill about, you know, what was Rick like as a coach early 2000s? And it was basically he is control of everything. He was calling every play. He was calling a play every time down the floor. Now if they run a play, oftentimes it might be Tyrese that sees something. And it's trying to get him into it. And so um, offensively, it's, it's so much read and react. And also the other thing I keep in mind is most of the roster was here in September. Then they went to the players only mini camp down in Nashville. So that's one area where things are different than I would say recent years is these guys have been training together now for almost two months if you include those off season sessions.
0: Scott, my apologies if this was already out there and I missed it. Uh, Do we know the terms yet, the length or the terms of Rick Carlisle's extension?
3: No, we do not. Uh, They have been quiet on that thus far, so I have not seen anything on either of those notes. I would suspect, however, that the annual number uh, salary is increasing, probably to fall in line as well with kind of the trend among coaches anymore i think monty williams is getting something like 16 17 million now per year up with detroit and that's an obvious overpay but they're paying for a lot more than just the coaching aspect and everything up there but um i'm I'm sure he got a raise and at least a couple more years but no we do not know the terms just yet
0: and again part of my ignorance on this his contract that he was working under heading into this year was to expire when
3: after next season. So okay. he had this season and next season. Um, he was just past the halfway point of the four-year deal that was worth about $7.29 million uh, plus some incentives in his deal. I thought the only negative, Scott Agnes, the
0: only negative that I saw in opening night, and I realize it's maybe even absurd to bring it up because it is one grain of sand and what you hope becomes the beach of a career – but I thought Jarris Walker looked like a deer in the headlights.
3: Yeah, and but I I think that's kind of now what we had suspected in the last couple of weeks, and I say that too because several times during practice, Rick has cautioned, "Hey, it's gonna it's gonna take him a little bit. There's a lot going on. He's just 20. We're gonna. Uh, this is one of the benefits of you know having this depth that they keep talking about. Um, Sh- Shepard very clearly is ahead of." walker in terms of grasping the system and their nba concepts but he's also more mature he's also older played four years at belmont so uh, i i am surprised compared to what i thought say in august but it was not surprising given what we had seen in the preseason and throughout training camp
0: did were tj mcconnell's minutes limited scott agnes in your opinion because that's more representative of what we're going to see over the course of the year or because you have a pretty good idea who he is and what you're going to get out of him, and thus there wasn't the necessity to get him out there just yet because you don't need to see what you have.
3: I'd say the former. It's about, all right, and this is what I wrote about actually today at Fieldhouse Files is I was curious a month ago, what path would the Pacers go down? I actually know many people on the team were curious which path, meaning are they going to put the best group out there, the group that's ready to win today that – is most mature. That's the veterans guys. You're talking T.J. McConnell, maybe Daniel Tice is your backup big, who's in the best shape that he's been in in three or four years, coming off a World Cup gold medal with Germany. Well, those two veterans are out of the lineup. So that signals to me, along with Rick Carlisle getting an extension, being here for more years, getting stability and some future guarantees, it's reassuring. It's that it's about the future. It's about building again towards what's next so it means you want to see more of Nimhar. you want to give him more opportunity you want to see more of Matherin on down the line um and McConnell is great to have now in this instance as an extra but um that's a difficult spot I don't envy that with T.J. McConnell or Daniel Tice or those guys um who are 31 and ready to play but it's a numbers game and right now being a veteran is actually a detriment to what they're doing.
4: Scott, you were a part of the press conference and availability when Adam Silver was in town in opening night, and you had a piece on Fieldhouse Files against Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files joining us here about a change to the All-Star Game format, which maybe since you're on the beat nationally, you saw coming. It makes sense. He announced they would change from East to West or back to East to West. I beg your pardon, representation. But they also oust the Elam ending. Your takeaways from his press conference as a whole, but also the fact that I, I liked the amending. ending. I thought some basketball fans did as well, but the fact that they make it about face now and go back to full traditional outlook for All-Star weekend.
3: Yeah, I think it's really twofold. and, and you knew some kind of changes had to be inevitable here after last year's game, Jimmy. It was awful. Right. I, I mean, the fact that you even have a player in the game, a first-time All-Star, Tyrese Halliburton, who I asked after the game about the change, he goes, he smiled. and was like, yeah, that game was trash, so I'm not surprised. It's like, whoa, okay. If you're having your guys say it in that way, you know changes are needed. How I look at it, one, is they're trying to make it something that's reasonable. That's not a joke. That is more competitive. That will draw more eyeballs. The other thing is you don't want to overcomplicate it and, and make it a gimmicky type of product. Keep in mind you might have people watching this NBA-type you know, type all-star affair because of the star appeal, but then, like, what's this Elam ending? Like, I know basketball, but I don't get this, and it's a target score, like – Even probably people listening right now are a little bit confused what I'm referencing, and I think cleaning that up, trying to make it and go back to more of a pure model is what they're going to try here. Now, will this completely fix the competitive nature? I don't think so. Rick Carlisle mentioned maybe up the money, but they probably tried that. Um, I'm not sure what else you can do with all-star games in general. I mean, you look at the Pro Bowl, and it's two-hand touch flag football right now. Um, So maybe that's out the window for good. But I do like that changes. The other thing that I asked, Uh, Adam Silver about that I was curious about because I know players are wanting this even Tyrese as well is to go back to wearing your jersey so Tyrese would wear one of the Pacer jerseys rather than this bland you know uh, all-star Jordan brand jersey that would fit the market Um, and Adam Silver did not completely rule that out but he clearly noted that hey they have an agreement with Nike that will not be changing certainly this year but it's something they are aware of and looking into
0: Scott, Scott, I, I don't understand, and these guys have tried to t- explain it to me a couple of times, but it took me seven times to get past algebra, right? So we've, we've got five more here attempts. Uh, can you explain to me, like I'm a second grader, which oftentimes I am, um, exactly how this in-season p- tournament works?
3: Yeah, so it's it's not additional games. It's raising the stakes to games you are playing anyway. So, for example... There are, there are different groupings, by the way, too, with four other teams in there. The Cavaliers are one of those groupings. Now, every time you play the Cavaliers, it does not count for that. So, for instance, when the Pacers are at the Cavs Saturday night, that is not an in-season tournament game. The first in-season tournament game is next Friday in Indianapolis, and one team from those groupings will advance on. So that's why we don't know the full schedule. Um, for for the teams in early December. And ultimately, at the end of this, Jake, there will be just one additional game added to the NBA schedule, and that'll take place in Las Vegas, the championship game of this. And for the final, I think, four teams, there is some money incentive in all this. So that's one reason they're trying to do it. And the general purpose of this is Adam Silver, who's a big proponent of, you know, soccer overseas, Premier League, all that, is to try to add some kind of victory, some kind of in-season championship so that at the end of the year, it's not, did you win the title or what was this season worth? It hopefully could potentially lead to another different team celebrating this championship and then another one come the spring. But the only added incentive is money.
0: Okay, so it's possible that the Pacers in the championship of this would be win.
3: Uh, December 10th, I want to say, in Las Vegas. So
0: it's possible. So the Pacers on their schedule have like December 10th as TBD because it's possible they could be playing, say, the Orlando Magic in the championship of their in-season tournament, correct?
3: Correct, yes. And even if they don't reach that championship uh, or if they enter the main portion of the tournament – and then lose, they'll still play another game because every that doesn't count for the tournament, just so that everybody plays their 82 games. I know this is this is one big problem I have with it, is there's no streamlined way to explain it. So if you watch Adam Silver on his, all these interviews right now, I mean, you have Charles Barkley simply asking him to explain it, and that's a huge barrier to entry, I think, right now.
0: If you, Scott Agnes, were an NBA general manager, and you had a ton of salary cap, and – you had a choice. You either had to accept James Harden on your roster or you had to eat your body weight in mayonnaise. Would you pick Dukes or Hellman's? <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> You're exactly right. There's a few players in the league that aren't worth the league minimum salary just because of everything else, and he is one of those guys, no doubt.
0: And he's a, here's the thing. This is what's weird to me about James Harden. He's a great talent. I, there's no question about that. I mean, he's a great scorer. He's a great talent. And last year, to be honest with you, Scott, I thought he actually played unselfishly. I mean, he he averaged 11 assists a game last year. Like, he he did facilitate for other people, but yet, and I don't know the guy at all, but he seems like a constant headache. Am I wrong?
3: No, I don't think so. It's all about outside of basketball, too. It's contract stuff. It's playing time. It's what is the team successful or not? Does he want to be traded? He's demanded about three trades in the last four years. At some point... You signed into that situation. You need to follow through with it. That's the basis of a contract, is it not?
0: Okay, so who would you, in your opinion, who
3: would be a bigger headache, James
0: Harden or Kyrie Irving?
3: Yeah, those were the two I was thinking of. And right now, it it, it would have to be James Harden um, just because of everything else. Notably, it feels like things have quieted down on Kyrie. And they're both Um, fabulous talents.
0: Don't get me wrong, man. They are both fabulous talents.
3: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I would not want either one on my team, though, for all those considerations. Um, And and I'd probably throw Ben Simmons on there as well. But if anything, that might be a talent issue, as we've learned, more than anything else. Yeah, Ben Simmons is another
0: one, like, You remember when he was in college, Scott? It was like, well, he can't shoot at all. He can't score at all. But man, he is unbelievable. Well, he. But at some point, you got to
3: score, right? Well, he can facilitate. No, okay, but he couldn't shoot. Yeah, he can get to the basket and lay it in. Okay, but can he make a jumper? Can he make a free throw? Right. Yep.
4: Scott, last thing. Last thing for me. We know that the central is going to run through Milwaukee. We've known that for the last couple of years. What did you think of the debut? in Milwaukee of Damian Lillard and the way they were able to hang on late.
3: Yeah. I think what you're going to see Jimmy throughout the season is a lot of fans realize, wow, this Damian Lillard guy is pretty good. <laughs> Just because how many people actually were watching on league pass. It maybe wasn't on national TV and tip time with Eastern TV. time zone I is undefeated. A whole new appreciation, yeah. right?
4: Yeah. Eastern time zone is undefeated for that very reason. I'm right there with you because a lot of us NBA purists will go and keep NBA league pass, stay up for that nightcap, but having them in the East, yeah, it's going to be a quick couple of weeks where I'm sure Damian Lillard will be trending all the time.
3: Yeah, because then beyond that too, Blazers didn't have postseason success very much here in the last half decade, right? And outside of the market and the time and those sort of things, you've got to make that run into May, maybe into June, and they haven't had that. Therefore, the attention on him and appreciation, I don't think, has been there as much as it maybe should be. Scott, tell
0: me what you're working on upcoming here for Fieldhouse Files.
3: Yeah, I appreciate it. A couple nights ago, opening night, Roy Hibbert was back for the first time since 2016, so I was able to catch up with him, so I'll be writing about that. I also, fans may not know this or remember, but George Niang, former Pacers second-round pick, well, he's still close... With this organization, because of Tyrese Halliburton, that's his best friend. So I talked to them both about uh, their relationship. You know, they both signed massive contracts this off season, and they celebrated together at a house in L.A. and that sort of thing. So that's a fun story I'll have before tomorrow night's game as well. Couple of Iowa State guys, right? That's exactly right. Brock Purdy uh, as well.
0: Again, when you talk about the Pacers upcoming, not only can you read what Scott has to say, but 10.30 tomorrow on this radio station, Pat Boylan with uh, the Pacers. Uh, what, what's the name of the show that Pat does? Pacers Weekly, right? 10.30 yeah. tomorrow morning? 10. Uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You have 10.30 on the board there, already. I think. Do you? Anyway, I could be wrong. Is it 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. 10 a.m., sorry. My eyes are bad. Uh, and then, of course, most importantly, Colts and, or excuse me, Pacers and the Cavaliers. I'll get it right eventually. Uh, coming up tomorrow night on this station. Scott, appreciate the time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: 2 o'clock hour, Colts and Saints, Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday, joining us now on the hotline to talk about that and more. You hear him in the morning, of course, with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, Kevin Bowen joining us. Kevin, we'll begin with right out of the box. Uh, I don't think any big surprise in terms of Grantson, Brents, and Braden Smith all being out. No big shock there because obviously they have not practiced, and I think we anticipated that, but... Of the three, the one that is probably the one that Shane Steichen, it creates the greatest curve for him not being there would be which?
6: Yeah, it's probably Braden Smith. You know, Some credit to Juju Brents, and, and obviously a lack of cornerback depth contributes to it, but I would put Juju Brents a lot higher on that list than I would have at the start of the year. You know, At the start of the year, any sort of Braden Smith absence, um, I, I would argue is one of the biggest on the team. Um, so, obviously, it hinders you offensively. I mean, we certainly saw you know, a, a matchup that did not go well last week with Blake Freeland at right tackle. Granted, Miles Garrett is, fortunately for the Colts, not on every NFL roster. Uh, but at the same time, again, I, I do think Juju is a notable loss. Uh, you, you're kind of in scramble mode at corner right now. You've already lost Dallas Flowers for the year. Um, it seems like you're going to stick with Daryl Baker Jr. We'll see how that goes after you had already benched him. Earlier this season and just in general, Juju falls into the Anthony Richardson category of you'd really like for a young player at a very important position to be out there on the field getting reps, especially when he's been as banged up as he has been during his rookie season. So, yeah, I would still put Braden Smith at the top of the list, but you know, Juju's not as far behind him as you know maybe I would have thought at the start of the year.
4: Kevin, the Colts are advertising and I don't blame them because it's a good bullet point that they're the only team in the NBA or sorry, in the NFL that scored at least 20 points in every game. But as I look closer at that this week, some of it's inflated because they got a field goal to win against Baltimore in overtime and they kind of got garbage time fourth quarter points against the Jaguars in that loss a couple weeks ago. They've also turned the ball over nine times in the last three games. When you combine all of that is this team really just a clean up the turnover game away from being a potent offense, or are they just okay?
6: Yeah, I think the stat is pretty impressive, considering that Richardson and Minshew have each started multiple games. Johnson Taylor missed a month, and you have had you know, to, you know, I think finally the Colts have kind of had normal offensive line health, which means guys are banged up, and you you have to kind of scramble a little bit there. With that unit, and they've definitely had to do that here through the first seven games. Um, But as you point out, you know, it it does feel like, man, are they really like that potent? Like, is that stat, you know, would you rather be, you know, consistently scoring whatever 20 to 25? I don't know what their exact average is. Or would you, you know, rather have, you know, 70% of your games go over 30? Like, probably some of the top offenses in the league have um, so far through this season. Uh, but, I mean, clean up the turnovers is, is huge. I mean, if you look at last week, I mean, they scored 38 points with four turnovers. I mean, that, that's got to be close to a franchise record, if not a franchise record, considering how many times they did give it away. Um, I still think, you know, there are some, you know, whether it's passing game and just that true, true explosive nature to it, you know, certainly getting Jonathan Taylor up to full throttle. But yeah, I think there are elements of the offense that maybe, you know, I, I, I still have to see a little bit more. But at the same time, I think that stat just indicates that Shane Steichen is a brilliant offensive mind. And when it comes to his play calling and his weekly game planning and all of that, the fact that you've consistently got to a pretty solid number through all seven games amidst all the personnel issues you've had, to me, it's a huge credit to Shane Steichen offensively.
0: Kevin, amidst this, I'll call it a retool as opposed to a total rebuild of the Indianapolis Colts, but in this new era... Shane Steichen and the Colts do you feel like we have been given a better glimpse as to who they can be offensively or defensively on which side of the ball are they closer right now to being what we anticipate them being for the next you know two to four years
6: um I I I guess defensively just because you know we didn't and we saw Anthony Richardson for 170 snaps. I mean, it, it, but then I say that, I'm thinking to myself, well, Shane Spiken is probably going to outlast Gus Bradley. Well, he certainly will outlast Gus Bradley here, unless, you know, both of them ride off into the sunset. Together, after X amount of years, um, and just personnel-wise, you know, you, you probably are a little bit more stable on the defensive side of the ball uh, with some of those guys than you are offensively. You know, there's I think there's still some things to add, and obviously, again, quarterbacks, you only got to see a, a, a brief glimpse of what Richardson can do on the field. Um, you know, I think defensively, it's fair to have some, some questions, though, particularly at their inability to close out games. Um, I've been disappointed in just the lack of a pass rush from your defensive front as well. You know, last week, when you talk about a rookie right tackle on Blake Freeland, you know, what an opportunity for Quiddy Pay facing a rookie right tackle in Dewan Jones, and certainly credit to Ben Davis' product, but you don't see many day three picks face a first-round pick pass rusher who's been in the league for three years now and for that guy to really be shut out all game long when it comes to, you know, even pressures or hits or certainly sacks on the opposing quarterback. So I do think defensively, um, while I guess there's kind of just less volatility going forward, if maybe that is a way to answer it, Uh, but I still think there are some questions about that group particularly closing out and with the pass rush
0: what percentage more as we go game by game like do you think eventually kevin bowen that we we will hit kind of the ceiling of the number of reps that say zach moss is getting versus taylor are the, are we still in the acclamation period of transferring t- the offense more into jonathan taylor or have we seen the balance as to what it's going to be for the rest of the year
6: yeah, I, I still think you are to the point where you're getting Taylor to that bell cow status and whatever that is is that you know 75, 80% of the snaps is it more than that. Um, I think Zach Moss deserves to have a series or, or two, you know each half, uh, maybe one and a half, something like that. Um, I think he's earned that and I think it's important to keep Taylor fresh. I think it's important to like keep the defense a bit honest. Of hey, if we can keep Moss or if we can get Moss in the game here or there, does that mean that Jonathan Taylor with five minutes to go in the game, he's at whatever ninety six percent of his normal self? Whereas if you play him a little bit more early on, he might be at you know whatever eighty five percent from the fourth quarter when the defense has hands on the tips and things like that. And that kind of goes back to that Jacksonville game a few weeks ago where the Colts came out and they threw it twenty five times in the first half. And to me, that's way, way too high of a number because Taylor and Moss is your strength offensively. And Taylor's career, if you look at his big plays, so many of them come in the second half of games. And I think part of that is just you naturally wear down the defense and whatever, that linebacker getting to that gap and you know X amount of time in the first quarter isn't maybe at the same level that it is in the fourth quarter. And that's when a little bit of a fresh Taylor – can hit a home run on you. So, um, again, I think Zach Moss still deserves a role. I mean, last thing he was 50-50. Again, I I would assume Taylor ascends to kind of that normal number one role. But at the same time, I think more so than any part of his career, he's got a backup he feels comfortable with. And not just like the Naheem Hines, you know, more of a pass catcher kind of gadgety guy.
4: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. The wake-up call is KB and Andy right here on The Fan. Of course, his work on 107.5, thefan.com, covering the Colts. KB, you follow this particular position group as close as anybody, and in a group that doesn't have a ton of standout names, of course, referring to Colts wide receivers, I would rank it in terms of most valuable weapons, specifically at wide receiver for me. It is Michael Pittman Jr., Josh Downs and then Alec Pierce and I save Alec Pierce for last for a number of different reasons because you're still trying to figure out I think what he is in this offense was the bar set rather low because of the struggles over the last couple of weeks and then you have two nice games from him against Jacksonville and Cleveland that maybe you're overcompensating to say no there's real growth there from him or have you seen him finding what his role is going to be within the Colts offense
6: yeah that's a good question I I I do think he deserves um, certainly you know, whatever pat in the back, however you want to call it for the last couple of weeks because he's done it amidst you know big offensive days, um, especially last week. You know when you had Josh Downs go for over 120, Michael Pittman's got a quieter afternoon. You know Taylor combines for 120 on the ground and through the air, and then you know Pierce is able to sprink in, sprinkle in a little bit of what he did. And, and to me, it was a very kind of like fierce like game of he had the one deep ball on that free play on the third down and then a couple of, you know, things underneath and you've had that up and it's three or four catches and, and 50 some yards, you know, to me, that's not the end of the world. Like certainly if he does that on a pretty repetitive basis, you know, in no way are you labeling him like an outright bust or anything like that. And, you know, you can point to Colts wideouts. And certainly Jake knows this with with Reggie Wayne that, you know, didn't, you know, weren't kind of instant success on the field in that first year. I mean, even T.Y. Hilton you know, didn't have a huge, huge rookie season, and then once you know Reggie tore that ACL midway through the 2013 season, that was when Ty really, really emerged. I-, I still need to see just again more consistency in terms of okay, can this be a month? Can this be six weeks of you know Pierce is not just a one-trick pony, and even with Vincu in there, I still think it's important to consistently take shots down the field with them because that is his strength. And you know, when you do that, when you run those go routes, which is large majority of what he does, it keeps the defense honest, and then it also allows Pierce to make a play. And, I mean, hell, you saw late last week in the, in, in, in the game. You know, when you're able to, I think, take those shots down the field, you then make corners have, have to behave, for lack of a better term, of like, when you, it's just man coverage, and it's a deep shot. Uh, it, and if you panic, the whole world's going to see it, and Laundrie's probably going to be on the field. And that is something we saw Pierce do a little bit last year. And you can create a big play that way as well.
0: Kevin, I, I know you miss this where it's early in the morning and I have to ask you the difference between a meme and a gif or a gif and then I have to ask you if it's a gif or a gif right? I mean, I know these are the things that, you know, you, you, you miss. So I'm going to – Sure. Yeah, I'm going to allow you to, to you know – awaken your ptsd here um the, the spider-man thing th- th- is that a is that a gif or a meme the the little character of the two spider-man looking at each other
6: yeah i didn't think i'd be in the liquor cabinet at 212 on a friday but it <laughs> looks like I'm, welcome aboard in there here <laughs> crack here it shortly. open uh spider-man Meme, right?
0: Is that okay, so that's a meme. And and for those that don't know, I think most know by now, but that's just two Spider Man characters and they're looking at each other, and the implication is that it is two people of equal power and strength that don't know what to do because they're going against somebody else of equal power and strength, right? Is that that that's Jimmy, you're younger. That's what that's supposed to mean, mean, right?
4: Effectively, basically you're looking at yourself. You're looking at a twin of you. Okay.
0: So that said, Kevin, long way of saying is this Colts Saints game the Spider Man meme?
6: Um, obviously record wise, yes, but I, I really think that's kind of where it stops. I, you know, I try to get a pulse, and I know you, you know you guys did yesterday of okay, you know what is going on with New Orleans right now? How do the Saints view their three and four record? And it to me couldn't be further from how the Colts view there three and four record. Um, You know, part of it goes back to preseason expectations. And when they make the move for Derek Carr and they play in a bad division, they obviously are saying, Hey, immediately we have the most, certainly the most veteran established quarterback of anybody in this division. Uh, We should be the favorites. And Dennis Allen, you know, of course has been an NFL head coach before and is going, you know, he's not a first time head coach like Shane Steichen. And obviously Anthony Richardson has nowhere near the experience of Dennis Allen. So, or of uh, Derek Carr, but so I feel like when you listen to Saints fans, or even just the general tone of Dennis Allen, like press conferences, there is a lot more panicky questions, uh, even reactions of you know drawing board type stuff. And the mini buy came at a good time because we had to reassess some things. Whereas the mood with the Colts, you kind know, like happy go lucky at three and four, and which is kind of weird to say after two straight losses. Um, you know, And you could be looking at a stretch Sunday if you do lose. I mean, we've gone one and three in this, you know, four out of five at at home. But, again, I think a lot of it goes back to the preseason expectations. And, overall, I, I do think the Colts have played either it's better than what people thought they'd be at this point of the season. And you could even make the argument that, I don't know, maybe they should be better than a three and four record. So, uh, whereas, again, the Saints, they just don't feel that at all. I feel like there's legitimate questions about Derek Carr and the offense and He's been pretty demonstrative and coming over the sidelines and having disagreements with coaches, players, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they had an off-the-field incident earlier this week. I mean, when you add all that up, it just sounds – it kind of is like the Colts last year almost with Matt Ryan of, you made that move, you don't expect to be three and four, and for questions about Derek Carr and like, wait a minute, is he walking up the 18th hole here? Um, So I'm very curious to see how, like, the pissed off Saints react to the we're kind of mad but we've also played really good football Colts coming up on Sunday
0: you know I thought you made an interesting point though Kevin to that point I mean earlier where you were I think your phrase usually is like pucker up but like there is definitely things feel more tense with New Orleans and as you know I've been a believer in and defender of Derek Carr and yet if it doesn't happen this year, Kevin, then I basically, at that point, I need to throw in the towel and say, if it hadn't happened by now in terms of him taking off and being a franchise quarterback that that is the guy that takes you to another level, if it doesn't happen this year, it's not going to happen, right?
6: Yeah, and I def- definitely recall those conversations that you and I had, and you know I know that Matt Taylor's always been a car guy. We we had him on earlier, and you know I think cars should – you know, it deserves to be acknowledged for what he did with the Raiders. I mean, you know, think back to a couple years ago with an interim head coach and all the John Gruden drama. I mean, that Raiders team got to the playoffs and, you know, gave Cincinnati really everything they could handle in an open-round playoff game. So I still think you can, like, acknowledge that Derek Carr has had a nice career. I mean, it's not a given that second-round draft picks turn out like he has had. But also sit here and be like, wait a minute. These first five or six games in New Orleans – they're not going very well. And I'm not saying it's going to all of a sudden flip, but, you know, Philip Rivers' first handful of games here in Indy, uh, granted it was a COVID year, I mean, they had some up-and-down moments. I, I think the Saints are really, really talented individually, and so it is a bit shocking to me that they've played this poorly. And, I mean, I, I watched last Thursday, and I was almost thinking to myself, right, are they about to put Jameis in the game? Like, is Jameis Winston about ready to get some action here? Because – Carr looked either hurt or just ineffective beyond belief. And then, you know, finally in the fourth quarter, things kind of woke up. So, I mean, did they need the mini buy? Did they need Alvin Kamara kind of in the lineup for a few games where they got going? Did they need their offensive line to get a few guys back? You know, that's probably what the glass-half-full look at the Saints would be right now. But certainly there's a lot for Carr to prove with this new team and those around him here in the next you know month or so.
4: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. KB, I am in the camp that the Colts are not a playoff team, despite what the schedule might present to them. I ultimately don't think they get there. But for those that do think they can, and perhaps even those that say they will, if I'm willing to put that hat on, for me, this game, and really the entire NFC South, which comes in flux over the next couple of weeks... Those matchups, starting with New Orleans, are games that if the Colts are a real playoff team, you either win it. Like for me, the, the bar is you beat New Orleans, or I'm done even entertaining the conversation. Because if you can't handle New Orleans, why should I think you can handle Carolina? Why should I think you can handle Atlanta? You're supposed to beat the teams that you are better than on your schedule.
6: Yeah, and I know we're, we're living in a little bit of a Sunday bubble, but I'd stretch it to the next couple of games, Jimmy. You know, when you look at, and you pointed out Carolina, New England, and Germany as well you know, after Sunday, I mean, four of your next five are away from home. And to me, I kind of view it like the last two weeks, you missed out opportunities to beat teams above you, which would have sent a message and would have had great implications for, you know, Jacksonville two weeks ago within the AFC South, Cleveland last week within the AFC wild card. Now, you know, the NFL radar, no one cares about your games. Like I, Mark Sanchez is at Colts practice today. Getting ready for the Fox broadcast. Mark Sanchez is not on the Fox, you know, A team. Like the Colts are flying under the radar here in terms of you know how much attention will be paid to paid to them uh, each of the next couple of weeks. If you want at Cincinnati to mean a lot in December at Pitts or uh, home to Pittsburgh uh, in December, I think those are back to back weeks. Those are two teams right now that are in the wild card picture, assuming Baltimore wins AFC North. Like though. For those to matter, you just have to quietly take care of business these next couple of weeks. And you got to string some together, and you can't squander it. Because it it is the fourth easiest schedule the rest of the way, if you look at it. And, you know, there are a lot of coin flip type games, Sunday being one of them. But in order for, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and those games around that to really, really matter and have big-time implications, um, because you squandered the last couple of weeks when those games mattered more, Based off the standings, you're going to have to win three of four, two of three, four of five, something like that, in order to you know have okay. If you win here, you're in the AFC playoff picture, or you know that sort of feel to some of those final four or five games of the season.
0: Kevin, who did your son pick?
6: He has not picked yet. Um, I've had the Colts and Saints helmets sitting there on the kitchen table was uh, seemingly all week long. And, um, yeah, we just have been – we have not stayed on ta- – we, we, we have not done a good job addressing what needs to be done, and that is Max Bowen needs to make a helmet pick.
0: Now, your your nephew used to pick – now, does he pick games too? Because he used to do the helmet thing, right?
6: Well, that's where I got the helmets from was him. Yeah, he would, he would do the helmets uh, like in standings order, and then he'd also like place out, okay, what's the week eight schedule? And he'd match up all the helmets on his little nightstand. Of you know who all is is playing, so he has been a bit unhappy with me that I've taken the Colt helmet through the first six seven weeks of the season. Finally, I said, "Is enough? A, enough is enough." I have bought myself, and you know Max can take over one day. Uh, a twenty nine ninety nine dollar thirty two helmet set, which <laughs> I, honestly, I'm shocked you don't have one, Jake, knowing how much you love helmets.
0: No, I have. Okay, you know the the old. It's the same thing. The little plastic helmets that you have. Uh, When I was a kid, you could get them for 25 cents each in the bubble gum machine at the grocery store. And I had every team, as well as the little uh, standing, they look like goalposts that you would put them, you know, and I broke them down in divisions. I actually still have them. I haven't broken them out in quite some time, but I do still possess them. But some of them are like the old school helmets, like Bucko Bruce, like the Bucks helmet you have, I assume is the newer version, right? Or the, I should
6: not even newer, the current version, right? Yeah, I'm imagining you and Shane on your first date. Hey, you want to come back to my place and I'll show you my NFL helmets here and we can pick out our favorite one?
0: <laughs> I Listen, I asked her, I go, what's the best logo in the NFL? And she goes, well, I really like the Seahawks. And I go, there we go. <laughs> All right, hell yeah. Pass the test. So what time does the no, big I, unveiling come?
6: Well, I, I, I know we are we are a little late th- th- this week. Uh, I'm going to go pick them up from daycare here just a bit, and then hopefully uh, we will do it tonight, and then I, I'll probably tweet it out tomorrow morning or something. I'm looking at the helmets right now. I'm counting them up. One, two, three, four. Okay, so the Colts obviously have a white helmet with the you know colored logo on it. Yep. And Jimmy Cook, I apologize right here for uh, going off the rails because shockingly it uh, you know, sounds like something that Jake would
4: do. Uh,
6: there's four other white helmets. Everybody else has a dominant color as their helmet, if that makes sense. Okay, uh, I guess white is uh, a a color, but four that are primarily white. Can you name the four besides the Colts?
0: The Arizona Cardinals. Ding. The now again, I these are all the current like current versions, right? Because you're not like it's not Correct. the Jets, right? It's
6: not the old school Jets. It is not the Jets, although I would like that look.
4: Am I allowed to play? Go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah. Throw one in the Chargers.
6: Ding.
0: Okay, so that see, I didn't, the Chargers changed them so much that it gets a little bit difficult right. to like yeah. to maintain.
6: Okay, so there's we have one two left. I, we have two left. I would consider both of these teams to be quality teams in today's NFL.
0: Okay, two left. The Buffalo Bills.
6: Did we get a ding,
0: Eddie Garrison? We gotta wake Eddie up. Hang on just a second. He, he, chai he tea didn't crash. have his chai tea today, yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's Whoa, one that's, that we're man, missing. That, was loud. <laughs> God,
6: that sounded like the Liberty Bell. Sounded
0: like the I mayonnaise plop, right?
3: You asked for a ding and now you complain. Which is it? You get it or you don't?
0: Boy, we're missing one. I'm trying to think here. One helmet left that is predominantly white, and we've already mentioned the Colts, the Cardinals the Chargers, and the Bills, right? Quality football team.
4: Dolphins.
6: Eddie? Jimmy Bleepin' Cook. Now, how about this?
0: <laughs> if you play that bell five more times, it'll be three o'clock. <laughs> Four, by By the way, I will tell you, the the teams that have a letter on their helmet, we'll do that next time. All but right. the Dolphins is a sneaky one on that. Ooh, do they? Do they now? Now Okay. Let me ask you this, Kevin. Let me look. Well here's the thing. Yeah. According to my set. Which which dolphin's helmet do you have though? Do you have the like swimming dolphin or the jumping through the hoop dolphin?
7: Jumping through the hoop.
0: Okay. The jumping through the hoop dolphin fella is wearing a helmet that has a little M on it. Ooh. Look closely. Kevin, can you confirm? Say that again. The the okay. you well, have the you
6: have the dolphin rocking any 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 helmet here. Hold on, oh well, he or she. You're
0: thinking he of this one. You're, you're thinking you have, of, you're thinking of that do you one. You not have the traditional jumping through the hoop dolphin. No, he has today's one. Oh, that's also jumping through hoop. I guess you're right, but okay. no helmet. Yeah, the old school one. He's wearing a hel- he's yep. wearing a little helmet with a little M on it. Yep. <laughs> you know. Okay. uh All right. Lastly, Kevin, the Saints defense. I'm not saying that the Colts. You know, we we mentioned the, the twenty game, the twenty point streak stays alive, right? Saints defense ain't going to stop them, right?
6: Well, the Saints, the Saints actually, I think have a pretty good defense. Um, I, I guess I went twenty three twenty, so I, I have the Colts scoring over twenty, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't think it's like a slam dunk. Um, yeah, I, I think the Saints defense is you know pretty good. If I I don't know, you could look at a glass half full or glass half empty. Last year. Gardner Minshew and Shane Steichen with the Eagles faces defense and scored a season-low 10 points. Um, I know that doesn't, you know, maybe it matters a little, maybe it matters none uh, to to Sunday, but um, I mean, they're a defense that uh, has a guy, I think, at every level that is notable, Pete Warner, the local product.
0: Yeah, they have a shutout. I'll give them that.
6: To to his NFL career. Um, I am curious, again, I I expect a good amount of Michael Pitt, or excuse me, a good amount of Jonathan Taylor. I am curious, like, the Michael Pittman that we see On Sunday, again, I I don't think he like overly talked, but he did do a little bit of talking after Sunday. And, you know, one thing I always respect about T.Y. Hilton is, and I always thought T.Y. was pretty low on the diva wide receiver meter, similar to Michael Pittman. Uh, But when T.Y. did talk and or wear a clown mask, he like backed it up and backed it up big time. And, And I go back to that playoff game in Houston when he wore the clown mask the stadium and the first drive of the game it's third down catch third down catch and then like a 40 yarder that really kind of set the tone for the Colts winning that road playoff game uh Michael Pittman could have a really tough match with Marshawn Lattimore on Sunday you know pretty good corner does he feel the need does Gardner Minshew feel the need does Shane Steichen feel the need to you know pepper him with any extra targets or do they try to get him going you know even earlier in the game uh, maybe not, but that is just kind of a curious storyline that I have for, for Sunday.
0: Again, um, game getting underway on Sunday, Lucas Oil Stadium, Colt Saints. I've got – I've actually got 31-24, I think. Hmm. I, you know, I, I look at it this way. I think Cleveland's defense is really good, and Miles Garrett was a one-man wrecking crew. And to your point, Kevin, they dropped 38 on it, and they doubled up Cleveland's season allotment average of yardage. I'm not saying the Colts all of a sudden are, you know, Dan Fouts and Eric Coriel here, but I do think they have some weapons. And I think that Shane, I, I like Shane Steichen's offensive game plans. And so I'll give them a little more than their average. They, they keep the 20 alive, they go 31. Jimmy?
6: Yeah. I, I mean, certainly there, there's a lot that you can point to for that. Uh, I just think New Orleans defense is not like that, that far
4: off. 24 20 Colts. Matt Gay Probably is fair. a factor. Probably fair.
0: Matt Gay hit a field goal, a 60-yarder to extend it from 21-20 yes. to 24-20? Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, Kevin, we'll look for the video to find out who your son picks by picking which helmet he prefers. Have a great weekend, gentlemen. All right, sounds good. Kevin Bowen, again, you can hear him with Andy Sweeney. They'll be breaking down the game 7 o'clock Monday morning on the wake-up call with KB and Andy.
5: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
0: Appreciate the time on a Friday from Kevin Bowen, Quarrying Company here, 93 1075. The fan, Jimmy, I decided that we're going to do a new segment. You ready? Always down for a new segment, Jake. Uh, please put your tray in the upright position, okay? Thank you for doing that. Please fasten your safety belts because we're going to load up on a plane and we're going to go around the country. We're going to do it with two minutes from a number of different radio hosts, and we call it the two minute drill.
8: Spanning the globe, it's the two-minute drill. Two-minute
0: drill will begin. Dallas-Fort Worth area, Mac Engel, Fort Worth Star Telegram. Mac, first right out of the box, Texas Rangers. You realized at what point in the season a World Series was a possibility?
9: Forty-eight hours ago. <laughs> uh, that's because I think the idea of taking a sixty-eight win team from two thousand and twenty-two and putting them into the two thousand and twenty-three World Series was a bit crack-pipe stupid, so I wasn't buying it until the final out of Game 7 of the ALCS against Houston the other night, and then I knew,
0: you know what, I think they might go to the World Series. Okay, so is this basically a story of bats getting hot at the right time, or did they make moves over the course of the year, in particular from a pitching staff standpoint to put them in this position?
9: A little bit of both. I mean, they've been. this is who they've been pretty much all season long, really since about the second week of the season. They, they were a first-place team. They spent a lot of money in free agency over the last couple years to buy Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, John Gray, some other guys that made a big trade deadline acquisition, and Max Serger, who only kind of worked out because he got hurt. He's going to be available, but he's not the same guy as he was five years ago. He probably wasn't three months ago. But consistently, this is who they've been. One through nine, that is a complete lineup. That is a very, very good lineup. They have two quality starting pitchers in Jordan Montgomery, who was a trade deadline pickup and Nathan Eovaldi, who's got a terrific arm. And then after that, it's kind of catch-as-can. Their bullpen isn't nearly as good as Arizona's, which could be a problem, but this is who the Rangers are. Really good hitting lineup
0: with pretty good pitching. Last question. When it comes to the NFC and getting deep into the playoffs, Dallas Cowboys, contender or pretender?
9: Contender. By by every definition
0: of contender for the NFC, not for the Super Bowl. Matt Engel, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Nick. Brendan Cristal, KOA Fox Sports Radio in Denver. Brandon, right to it. Right now, Broncos 2-5. and five, Not used to that. Sean Payton, Russell Wilson.
8: Can they get it
0: turned around?
8: I think they can. I think Sean Payton can get it turned around. I'd like to think Russ still has some good football left in him. We've seen more than enough flashes this year, but they've got the Chiefs coming up this weekend, and we just saw that two Thursdays ago. It did not go great. 95 whole yards, eight whole points. But you, you didn't actually accidentally see Russ throw 300 touchdowns in Seattle. So I think they're still some good football in there and Sean's just trying to unlock it
0: the Nuggets go from the unusual situation for them of being going from being the hunter to now the hunted as the defending champions do they change in any way shape or form how much do they miss Bruce Brown who comes to Indy
8: well I think they just get younger they definitely miss Bruce on both ends of the court for a guy that really could you know be that three and D guy and and, and a spark off the bench on both sides of the court They're young in their second unit, but they return all five starters that was the best starting unit. I'm not just saying that because they won the championship, but the metrics will tell you that Joker and Jamal and company were the best starting group in the NBA last year. So all those guys are back, and then they add Reggie Jackson more full-time to that second group. But a bunch of young guys, Christian Brown from the great University of Kansas, my alma mater, is a big key to that. They like this kid Julian Strother, who hasn't cracked the lineup through you know just one game, but they really like his defense and his three-point shooting out of Gonzaga, so he may end up taking somebody's minutes. But they are young with that second group, so missing Bruce Brown and we'll throw Jeff Green in there, who's approximately 100 years old now in Houston. Nonetheless, when you've got that starting five and you've got Nicole Jokic, perhaps the best player in the league, you're going to be just fine.
0: Brandon Cristal, KOA Fox Sports Radio in Denver. Appreciate it, man. Of course, Jay. Jonathan Peterlin, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. All right, Jonathan, tomorrow night it's Pacers and Cavs. Uh, Cleveland, the trajectory seems to be going high. What are the expectations for the Cavs this year?
10: Yeah, expectations are 50-win team. It's just now we're playing a sad game. we got to wait until the postseason to find out what this team is. Lost in five to the Knicks, as you guys know, and that's really what the season's about. It's a couple things. It's trying to figure out can Donovan Mitchell be pleased enough to stay here long-term, stay with the Cavs long-term, Is J.B. Bickerstaff the coach? But then more importantly, does this team, when the bright lights go on, do they shut off? And so, uh, honestly, games like against the Pacers tomorrow night, not the highlights for this wine and gold team, but there's a lot to look out for still. Uh, Evan Mobley's offensive development, another one there.
4: Jonathan, what's the latest with Deshaun Watson, and can the Browns realistically contend for a playoff spot without him?
10: That's tough because in doing five hours a night, in talking about the Browns, you think I'd have a better answer than the one I'm going to give you about Deshaun Watson? It's just nobody knows. They left us in the dark. I have no idea what's going on with Deshaun Watson outside of what we currently know that's reported, and that it's uh, it's an injury that's four to six weeks. It's a baseball injury, the subscapularis, which is not a term I ever knew prior to a week ago. But the hard part here, guys, is that we don't know: is it four to six weeks from four months or four weeks ago when he first got injured, or is it four to six weeks from? three days ago when he stopped throwing a football for the first time. Like, it seems impossible that he's been throwing football this entire time, and then he's going to have that one heal up. Obviously, if they win against Seattle this weekend, postseason expectations got to be there at 5-2. and two. It'll be really impressive. But how long can you do this with P.J. Walker? they got to find another quarterback. they got to get more help. Uh, it's just a really tough, tough time right now. For a team that we are winning games, and the fan base is happy about that, but it's just it's in flux.
0: All right, Jonathan, lastly, yes, no answer. Ohio State cleared a hurdle with Penn State. Is this the year Ryan Day breaks the streak, beats Michigan? No. Jonathan Peterlin, 92-3, the fan in Cleveland. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. David Kaplan, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Justin Fields misses a game, Bears win. Question is, are the Bears getting close to turning the page on the Justin Fields experiment?
7: Well, certainly they're going to turn the page, I think, at the end of the year, unless he has a miraculous comeback. The guy has been, you know, nothing short of lousy in terms of his record. And for whatever reason, he struggles with his processing. Now, if Tyson Bagent goes out and plays great against the Chargers and continues to play good football while Justin's on the shelf. Well, that question may be answered sooner rather than later.
4: Cap, players only meeting after game one for the Bulls. Surprising or par for the course?
7: Par for the course with this crew because they have Michael Reinsdorf, Arturis Karnaschovas, and Mark Eversley. That's their trio at the top. They're the settlers. That's what I've nicknamed them. They settle for mediocrity. You watch, what did Milwaukee do? We got to get better. Let's go get Damian Lillard. What did Boston do? We're good, but we got to get better. Let's go get Drew Holiday. What Chicago do? Got a couple bench pieces. Didn't tinker with their rotation at all. Why? Because they don't want to spend the money, and they're the settlers.
0: What is the ceiling for the Bulls? Are they going to be right there around with Indiana, we think, in terms of trying to get like into a 7-8 playoff seed?
7: That's, the, for me, the ceiling. I do not see how this team can get into the top six. It does not compute for me. I just don't think it's a good enough team. I don't think they play well enough together. Uh, we've seen this movie, and they choose to run it back. Disappointing.
4: David Kaplan, World Series prediction in how many games?
7: Texas Rangers win it in six. I had them at the start of the playoffs, but I thought they'd play the Braves. The Diamondbacks let that lesson, all you Cubs fans out there. Push your chips in when you're in the race. You never know what happens. David Kaplan,
0: ESPN one thousand in Chicago, capping us here on this two minute drill. Appreciate the time today. Take that. So that's a two-minute drill, and then Jimmy, you you understand what we do now that we're done. What do I tell you about deboarding the plane? You want to
4: exit in an orderly fashion.
0: Yes. Well, not only that, you, you it, don't stand up as soon as the bell dings, and please deboard the plane after the row it's in not front a of race. you has done it. It is not a race. All right. You're not going to unless you have a connecting flight, and then we kind of understand. But other than that, please exit in an orderly fashion, and don't look like somebody who probably doesn't return their grocery cart or have a dog voice. Because those are the three <laughs> kinds of people that are immediately sociopaths. Uh, we'll come back. We'll tell you what's going to happen on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll get Jimmy's picks. And we will also make our predictions for the Colts and Saints here as Quarry and Company rolls on. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.